this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. everyone this is david welcome back behind the velvet robe let's just get right into it today because we are joined by i don't know i think it's one of the greatest reality shows of all time one of the hardest i think definitely the hardest the one and only miss poverty shallow david you've committed the cardinal sin what by saying poverty yeah poverty harvity really That's why I threw a rock at Jason in season 16, because he called me poverty. (laughs) I've always, I mean, I've watched Survivor. I've watched, I've always said poverty, poverty. I know. Jeff Probst had a very difficult time with the name for many years. I'm not sure that everyone has pronounced it like every time it's been said correctly. No, it's a hard name. It really is. It's not um, an easy name for native English speakers. It's a Hindu name because I was born on an ashram and the guru of the ashram named me a Hindu goddess and like nobody can pronounce it and it sounds and looks like poverty, unfortunately for me growing up my whole life, but it is not. It is poverty. Well, I mean, that is now technically makes sense because I'm looking at how it's spelled. And can I just ask you something? First of all, don't hate me. Second of all, I usually pronounce people's names and then sometimes say, like, did I just say that right with yours? There was no question I was saying it right. So I'm an idiot. No. Oh, my gosh. Stop. Take that back right away. I won't allow you to call yourself an idiot. But, yeah, I feel like most people mispronounce your name, like even in the media, I feel. That's 100%. So growing up, I mean, it was really difficult for me, but now it, it barely phases me. Sometimes I'll correct people, sometimes I won't. But you as an aficionado of Survivor, as a huge you should know the appropriate way to say poverty. 
unacceptable, right? And can I just say, so we have, so I cover like all reality TV, everything. We have like lots of housewives. You are technically, officially the first person on here from Survivor. Whoa. I know. We're, you, we, we, we're heavy into Bravo and we've been branching out and just the other day I was like, but can I just tell you my team when I reached out to them and I'm like these, cause sometimes like if I give my team an idea, they then run with it. And then it's like, we booked you 17 people from this show. And I'm like, I don't have time for this. I literally said, here are like five, maybe six names. If someone's not on this list right now, I don't want to speak to them, but not kissing your ass like you were you were one of the top two so how's that oh i feel so special thank you where did you get made fun of for your name when you were growing up all the time i mean first of all who didn't right like even if your name's david i'm sure people came up with something well honey i was a gay man living in the suburbs or growing up in the suburbs of connecticut so i didn't exactly get made fun of for my name there were other things that i was made fun of for kids are mean yeah and they'll find the lowest hanging fruit and they'll go with that. My name, yes, was very low hanging fruit. I was called many different versions and varieties of what my name actually is. And it was, it was tough because when I was young, we moved quite a bit and I would have to tell each teacher how to say it. They would always like stumble at my name and it, you know, it bothered me as a child, but you, you move on. You move on. Well, some people don't. Some people, I think like if you have issues of being bullied when you're a child, you either grow up and get over them and are really secure or it just is like the root of all your issues and you never get over it. I've chosen to move on myself. That's true. Yeah. And I've, you know, I'm a life coach now. So the work that I do is bringing the unconscious to light. And most people are on autopilot, 95% of our behavior is subconscious programming habit. And that is formulated when we're children. So most people's five-year-old, inner five-year-old is actually running their adult lives. I totally agree with that. And I'm not a life coach. I just do this and speak to lots of people that are, you know, have been on reality TV, which is a certain type. All right, we're gonna definitely come back to this life coach because I've got lots of questions and I wanna talk about what you're doing now. But growing up, like, what type of child were you? Were you, like, competitive? Were you, like, like I was a, I threw myself into the books to avoid being bullied. Like, what type of child were you? Yeah, I love to read books. That was one of my favorite things to do. I was a nature lover. I liked being outside. I liked climbing, swimming. I was, like, a little Mowgli. And I was born in an ashram, so it was super nature-y. Wow. That, I mean, I could see that. Like, that fits in with what I would think, you know, on Survivor. Did you- Wait, actually, I want to tell you the story. Tell me. It's so relevant. So when I was in second grade, we, um, that was my first time attending a public school when I was young. And they had this competition for Halloween, a costume contest. And I knew from the previous year, seeing the kids who won that costume contest, they all dressed up as clowns. And I was like, I hate clowns. I don't want to be a clown, but I want to win this contest. So I dressed up like a clown and I won. Really? Yeah. So I guess I was strategic and competitive at a young age. You were already like, let me play this game and let me win. Yeah. (laughs) What? So how did you watch, like, did you watch Survivor before you were on it? Did you watch reality TV? Like, are you a big reality TV person? You don't have to be. I didn't. I was recruited for Survivor when um, 
when that was more of a thing. Now they accept applications more and they want big fans of the show. But at the time that I was cast, they were doing more recruiting and I was in the right place at the right time. I had a cool job. I was a boxer and a bartender and they were like, oh, that's cool. And um, asked me to apply from there. Is it true that at one point before this, you were in the mix for The Amazing Race? And that's kind of how CBS just first heard of you? Yes, that's what happened. I had a friend who was um, a recruiter, a casting agent, and he recruited me for Amazing Race. And I came in with a girlfriend. I actually came in with two girlfriends because he's like, bring a blonde. So I was the brunette and then I had the blonde with me. I had two girlfriends and I came in and Lynn Spillman, the casting director at the time, said, okay, pick which one you want to do it with in front of them. And I was like, no, you pick, you're the casting director. Like, no, these are my friends. And she's like, do you want to win? And I was like, yeah. She said, okay, then um, which one would you win with? And then I chose and lost a friend that day. Well, I mean, right. Like I would, yeah. I mean, like that was your first introduction to casting directors, producers, reality TV. Welcome to it, right? Yeah. And that is looking back now after I talked to Lynn, they cut me from Amazing Race. They cut my team and I was super devastated. But like a couple months later, I don't remember the timing specifically, they called me and asked me if I wanted to do Survivor. And Lynn said she knew I had what it took to win the game or be a dominant competitor because I had chosen a friend in front of the other one. Well, is it worth losing your friend for I mean, I think that Survivor was woven into the fabric of my destiny and there's nothing I could have done to avoid it now, having had the experiences I had. And that friend, she and I, we grew apart anyways, and she moved back to Georgia. So it's like, okay, you know, you, you kind of grow apart from some friends. Right, <laughs> I, you do. I, it makes me feel better to think that way. <laughs> that's a very, like, that's a very knowing how producer of mine think. And that's a very, like, you know, that's a very politically correct answer. Are, are you friends with the other person still? Yeah, we're friends. I mean, she was one of my best friends in college and we had traveled through Europe together. That's why it was very easy for me to choose her because I had such a depth of relationship with her and the other friend was more of a new friend. I didn't know her as well. You know, I, I went with loyalty. Forget the new friend. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, I, I would have been like, okay, like I have the show, like this is real. And, you know, I, I would have, you're nicer than I am because I probably would have really been like, okay, like who can I win this damn game with? And, you know, you're my friend. I love you, but this is who I want to play with. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.
Do you ever ask yourself why are so many dogs suffering with health issues? Well, actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 1,600 dogs through her foundation, says she's seeing more issues with dogs, joints, odors, and health than ever before. And after doing a ton of research, says there's one place we can look to support any dog's health, their food. So she decided to create something she could actually feel good about feeding her dogs, and it's called Superfood Complete. Superfood Complete is the only food I use for the dog in my life, Doherty. Why? Because Doherty's health is so important to me. Doherty is so picky. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. But he loves this dog food. What do I love best about Superfood Complete? The fact that it's made with over 30 of the healthiest ingredients on the planet. But don't take my word for it. Go to badlandsranch.com velvet and order right now to get 50% off your regular priced order with a 90-day money-back guarantee. If you want your dog to experience all these incredible things, go to B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S ranch.com slash velvet today. It's sandal season and that's something I used to wait all year for. But now with the new Croc style sandals, I embrace those feel good summer vibes all year long. And you can too. I love Croc's new getaway sandals. With their new feel-free technology, they're so light and soft, it feels like you don't have shoes on at all. It's like walking on clouds. They're Brooklyn sandals. They're so stylish and sophisticated. They have a classic style and a modern simplicity. And let's not forget their new Miami sandals. They're an elevated silhouette and they have a slight lift, which I love. So thanks to Crocs, these aren't just sandals for a single season. You can wear them year-round. And that's what I love best about Crocs because being this comfortable transcends a single season or a single vacation or even a single moment. It's a mindset. Thank you, Crocs. And right now you get 20% off your next purchase at crocs.com. Just use the code sandals20 at checkout. That's sandals20 at crocs.com for 20% off your purchase. Do you remember Tuesday, September 20th, 2016? Because we do. Because it's the day This Is Us premiered after more than 70 million of you watched our trailer and made our show go viral. I'm Mandy Moore. I am Chris Sullivan. And I am Sterling Brown. We are your hosts of That Was Us, a rewatch podcast starting May 14th. Listen to our episodes wherever you get your podcasts, and you'll be able to watch our episodes on the That Was Us YouTube channel. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Yeah, sorry. She really wanted to do it. It was, yeah, it was a tough, it was a tough moment because we also lived together. Oh, that's tough. It was hard. That's hard. What about, did you, do you watch, do you like, do you still watch Survivor? Like, did you watch all these seasons you weren't on? And do you watch other reality TV shows like Bachelor, Housewives, Bravo? I mean, my favorite reality TV show, and I don't even know if you can call it reality. I, I, maybe it is. It just seems so epic is Queer Eye. It's my favorite show. I think you could call that reality ish. I love every moment of that show. It's so moving. It's so touching. They make me laugh. I cry in the course of one episode. I love those guys. I want to be best friends with all of them. So if you can help me do that, I'd be delighted. 
I can, I can help you do that. And later on, we'll talk about what you can help me with. So okay. let me, let me make a note. Did you, did you watch the first Queer Eye, the one way back with like Carson and all them? Yeah, I watched it like maybe a couple of episodes, but this Queer Eye with this specific crew with Anthony Cromo, like Jonathan, I love them so much. They're Who's perfect. your favorite? I, I have favorites of a, for different reasons, but Karamo is one of my favorites because he's just so soulful and he gets right in there and transforms them in just a matter of moments. Jonathan's hilarious and he always wears cold dresses and high heels. And I'm like, you're more like girly than I am. And I just adore that about him. Totally. He's so hot. I'm like, who are you? He is hot. And he's like. so loving. And they just make these connections with people that are so honest and real and loving. And they bring all of them to their relationship with their person that they're helping. And it's, it touches it's my good. heart. I know. It's a, it's a good shot. Like I, I would call that reality, like scripted. It's, it's a good one. Yeah. Right. I mean like, yeah, that counts. Um, so you, you got reached out to by CBS and then what, like, did you say yes? Like, did you have any reservations? I mean, like it's a different, you know, the amazing race it's, is not easy, but I would, being, were you nervous about like going on Survivor when you got this call? I didn't really know what I was signing up for when they told me, they called me and they said, would you like to do Survivor? Uh, my first question was so cheesy. It was like, oh, is that the show where you eat bugs? And Lynn was like, yeah, I guess. Watch Palau. So she gave me the season Palau to watch for Stephanie LaGrosa was like the final remaining tribe member. So I had that homework and I watched that and I was like, okay, I could do this. And I was like, this seems fun. But what I missed when I watched Palau was the strategy aspect. So I thought it was more of an adventure. It was more of like surviving out in the wilderness and, and like competing in challenges. I didn't really pick up the other aspect until I was out there playing and got bamboozled by a couple of people, including production. And then I learned my lesson. And I was like, oh, when they called me to go back a second time, I was like, I'm not going to fall for any of that this time. I love how you watched all of Palau and just didn't understand that these people are not your friends. No. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> just like whoever right, can survive the best just gets a million dollars and that's how life works. Right. Yeah, that's not how it is. So you didn't, have, you weren't scared. You just said yes, and off you were to Cook Islands. I have a strong, unquenchable thirst and hunger for adventure, and for new and challenging experiences. I love to throw myself out into like really difficult scenarios and see how I do because I learn something new about myself every time, and I find that fascinating. Like, oh my gosh, I had no idea that. I'm the kind of person who, when I'm committed to something, I can hold my arm over my head for six hours. Right. How would you ever find that out unless you had played Survivor and had to do that? I don't know. I don't think I could hold my arm over my head for six hours. But yeah, I mean, like the psychological aspect of the gameplay is so interesting, I feel. I mean, it's physical too. I'm not... So you got there and you kind of at some point, like what, how was production bamboozling you to your point? 
Well, everyone's playing a game. There are multiple levels of game. The way that I see it is, you know, the contestants have their game. We have what we want to do. We have our own intuition that we're working with, but we're only getting certain information, the things that we see and hear ourselves or receive that information from other contestants or in some interview with a producer, we have, they ask us questions. So the producers can ask, they've asked me questions and I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't even think about that. Like, wow, good question. They won't feed you any information. They're not like telling you stuff, but they'll ask questions in and like cause for me as a competitor, cause me to think about things that I wasn't thinking about or seeing before myself. And they want to make a good show. So they're trying to get certain like things to happen, but without being manipulative and without telling you what to do, they are asking certain questions to see what comes what comes naturally from inside of a competitor. Do you think like in a way, which I never really thought about until just now, like then in a way, do you think like producers are kind of playing the game of Survivor? Like they're this extra player? Because like you said, I mean, like it's different, like in like the Housewives, you know, like, right, there is, or any other drama show, there is producer involvement where they're like, this one said that, and that's different, but this is like the rules are the rules. I'm like, you know, it's a fine line. And like, I'm not saying they manipulate, but like in a way, like if you're a competitor and like you're smart and like self-aware like you, like I would think by some of the questions, it would sway you or no, I'm being too dramatic and reading too it, much. Well, that. I don't think it's, it sways you either way, but they could, because they're pretty balanced in the way they ask questions, kind of like, me, when I was a journalist, you have to, like, you might have your own take on how the situation is, but you have to be more balanced in the way you ask your questions and tell your story. They will ask questions and, like, then ask devil's advocate questions. So they want to, they re what they're trying to do is get as much information as they can, depending on how the story goes, like what choices you end up making. They right. can tell a story that's cohesive. So they have to get all, cover all their bases in that way. I don't know. I wouldn't say that they're playing the game necessarily because they can't like, they don't, I don't think they choose a favorite and then they're like, oh, I'm going to try to get my horse to win. But they like, the, the producers 100% like Survivor. They like the strategy. They like when people are thinking, you know, a few steps ahead or thinking about something that they would never consider, like they're being surprised. So there is this element psychologically, if you are the kind of person who likes to be liked, and I think most reality people are, and probably most people in general like to be liked. I would think so. People, then as a interviewee, there is this sense of, I want to give this person, this producer, what will make them happy. And that's sort of the casting process is like, well, you've got to please the, the casting agents to get cast. You have to get Jeff Probst to like you and want you on the show. So there's that like performance aspect. And then that comes into play with the producers as well. And of course it comes into play at Tribal Council with Jeff too. People are starstruck by him, love him, want to give him whatever he wants. Like even, right. So like your first travel council, I imagine people are starstruck by him. Yeah. I mean, it's another element of the game. It really is that you wouldn't really consider until you're out there playing.
Interesting. Cause like, look, I mean, I've been in the mix for like, I feel like a million reality shows and I've always gotten far. Like I understand like, yes, you definitely, the casting thing, I get it. You meet Jeff, the final round. Like I was almost on The Apprentice back in the day. Like I met Mark Burnett and Donald Trump. If that's, that's a whole nother story. But then like, I think when you were there, like, I don't know, like then at some point you're like, I'm fucking hungry and I really don't care. I mean, I, I have the game. Like, I, I got it. Like, I don't need to impress anyone now. Like, I'm exhausted and I just don't fucking care. Well, going back to what we were talking about, 95% of our behavior is habit. If you are a people pleaser in your normal life and you tend to do the thing that or perform or have a mask that is a to-be-liked mask, then you're just going to go back to those old habits, especially when you don't have enough food and you don't have enough rest and you're super stressed out. It's too hard to override your unconscious habits when you are depleted. That I, okay. I could see that. And people remain starstruck by Jeff, like, you know, by day 30 and your fifth tribal council, I mean, I guess he's Jeff Probst. Like, I mean, he's in charge. Like, you've got to do what you're told. You don't have to do what you're told. That's the thing about Survivor. They love when you don't do what you're told, but, like, you still play within the certain bounds. There's certain bounds of, like, play that's appropriate, but they love when people push past. Like, when Russell went and started looking for idols without clues, they love that. And now they've integrated that as part of the game. That's become just rote. Like if you don't go out there and start immediately hunting for idols, you're not playing hard enough. Right. So they like that kind of stuff. What about, so, you know, 14 years ago, it wasn't like, you know, 40 years ago. So you go out, Cook Islands, and here we have this season where like they're dividing the tribes based on ethnicity. Like now I know at the time it had its own set of dramas and there was criticism, But I mean, it was literally like Caucasian, Hispanic, Asian, and African-American, according to those titles that CBS used. I mean, like, I don't know. Like, I guess at the time it was a thing, right? I mean, I remember when it was a thing. There was criticism. It was so weird for me playing. I was like, this feels archaic. And I didn't really understand that they were doing it, running it as some kind of social experiment. So for me, I was like, is this even legal? Like, can you do this? Yeah. That's why the quote is, is this kosher? Because I couldn't think of the right word. I'm like, is this legal? Like what you guys are doing? Segregating people on national television? It was weird. It was a little weird. I mean, and especially like, I would think, you know, like when you're like on the white tribe, it's like, you're just like, this isn't okay. Right. I get it. And there was drama and there was like sponsors that were lost. But I mean, could you imagine now, like 14 years later, like if this concept were airing next season on Survivor in this world that we live in? Yeah, that wouldn't fly. They've done a lot of stuff though over the years that they have really pushed beyond the bounds of what people would accept, find acceptable, be appropriate. And I think that's what keeps people fascinated with the show. Honestly, I think that's why people are still watching. Like what is survivor going to do that is completely steamingly insane and reward people for it. 
It's like you're being rewarded for lying, stealing, cheating, manipulating, being a, a modern day pirate. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The world's most exciting podcast, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. I'm Michael Savage, host of the Savage Nation podcast, home of borders, language, and culture. Hear my new podcast each week as I speak with top guests from around the world. Right now, we have over 700 shows in our library. Featuring interviews with world leaders, scientists, faith teachers, and more, including President Donald Trump, Prime Minister of Israel Ehud Barak, Edward Teller, the father of the hydrogen bomb, Jerry Falwell, and so much more conversations and commentary you cannot find anywhere else. Other guests have included Samuel Cohen, the father of the neutron bomb, Breitbart's Alex Marlowe, the great author Peter Schweitzer, Colonel Douglas McGregor. Be here or be nowhere, the Savage Nation podcast. Catch the Michael Savage podcast on all podcast platforms every Tuesday and every Friday. Hey guys, there's big news from my favorite home security company. Simply Safe just launched their new wireless outdoor security camera. That's right, Simply Safe, the system that US News and World Report names best home security system of 2021, just got even better. This brand new outdoor security camera is engineered with all the advanced tech and security features you want and need to help keep you and your family safe. I love that it zooms in eight times. This means that you can zoom in and clearly see things like faces and license plates to capture critical evidence. It has a built-in spotlight with color night vision so you can keep an eye on what's going on day and night. It's super simple to set up and usually takes just minutes. The camera also integrates with your Simply Safe home security system, extending its protection to the outside. Together, it means every door, window, room, and your property are now protected. To learn more about the exciting new Simply Safe wireless outdoor security camera, visit simplysafe.com/slash velvet robe. What's more, Simply Safe is celebrating this new camera by offering 20% off your entire new system and your first month of monitoring service free when you enroll in their interactive monitoring program. What's more important than keeping your home and property safe? Once again, that's simplysafe.com slash velvet robe. Yeah. People are like fascinated because I think most people live within the bounds of wanting to be a good person in their lives. So they wouldn't let themselves lie, cheat, steal, manipulate on a daily basis. But here's this carte blanche to like go for it. And this is how you win. So you have to access this other aspect of you, this other side of yourself that is okay with all of these not good person behaviors. Do you think people know this about themselves? Like for me personally, I think 
like I know that I could access that if I was in a, just, I mean, and again, I'm not saying I know it because I've never played Survivor and I'm sure, you know, you're going to tell me like, you don't know anything until you get out there. But like, I know what I'm capable of. So like, do you think like people shock themselves? Like to your point about holding your arm up over your head, like, did you know you had this? Cause like, you look at some people that are so great at the game, like you, Boston Rob, like, you're just like, I mean, I know it's a game, but they're just, they must have, like, don't you think certain people just have access to that part of themselves more than others? And that's why they go farther? I think or- it depends on how you identify um, yourself, like what identity you created for yourself. And for me at the time, at the time of Cook Islands, I wasn't really down to be this like backstabbery person and I didn't have access to it. But when they called me, to come back the second time, I wanted to win. And I knew more about what the game required in order to win. And I knew I would have to give myself more acceptance in being this pirate, right? So I read I read all these books, The Art of Persuasion, The 48 Laws of Power, like really went into this Machiavellian world where it was not only okay, to like kill people and betray them and be their best friends and then steal their pot of gold and like make off with their wife, you know, it's like, Oh, that's, that's actually rewarded. That's how you win. So I had to, I, I was like, okay, I have to turn the flame up and let that be okay for me in order to win this game. And to know that this is an arena that I'm stepping in. This isn't real life. This is an arena, like a gladiator coliseum. I'm walking in. When I'm in the arena, I am a warrior, and I will do whatever it takes to win this game. I will do all of these dark things that I read in this book, and I will do them gladly and willingly because that is how I'm going to win this game. What I wasn't prepared for was coming home afterwards and then not having a real um, a process to extricate myself from the arena and come back into life and my old identity or, or an identity of the things that I did were, were okay in the context of this game. That's separate from who I am in real life. I didn't. So when I came back, it was all meshed together. And I had like a full on identity crisis when I came home. Really? But so the first, just for the, before we get to that, the first time around, cause you say like you didn't have access to all this or, you know, you were bamboozled. Like you still, I mean, was that the whole time through? Cause like you finished six, that's pretty good for not having access to this. And I mean, like, or did something click during that time or no, it really was just like you left six and then you went home and did all this the homework. Yeah. I was like, I, all I was doing in season 13 was having fun. That was my number one. I was having fun. I was making friends. I was flirting. This was my normal life. I was a waitress and a bartender. That is how I made money and supported myself flirting with people. And I just did the same thing in season 13. (laughs) The same thing. And it got me far. (laughs) It did. But there's no way I could have won season 16 playing the same way. And at that point, the show had aired and I'd gotten all the feedback and People were like, oh, you're a bad role model for women. And you're like, used your feminine charms. It was just like this whole blowback from season 13. So I was like, you know what? 
I'll go in season 16 and I will destroy everyone. And I won't have to flirt if I don't want to. But if I want to, I still can do it. But I had a different strategy. This, this book that, these books that you read, like as you were reading them, were you like, okay, oh, I got it. Like this, I mean, cause that's, I find that so interesting that you like really studied and prepared to go back. I, I knew physically I could handle anything. I was doing like 90, two 90 minute power yoga sessions a day, running, boxing. Like I was just already doing that. And um, I didn't need to worry about that. But the mental aspect and the manipulative, like the persuasion side, I needed help with. I needed help with how to think through strategy um, in terms of, in different scenarios with different personality types. So when I read that book, The 48 Laws of Power is dark, dark, dark stuff. And You're going to have to like send it to me because I'm like obsessed to read this now. Oh my gosh. I hope that you don't use that on anyone else because it is, when I read it, I was like, ah, oh my gosh, because it's, it's gnarly, but it's based on history. It's, there's all these historical stories. It's based on court, like um, huh. monarchy, like the royal family and royal proceedings and the strategy involved in navigating those times and the strategy involved in navigating building empires around the world. It's pretty fascinating. If you're and like, when you were done, you're like, this clicks, like I got it. Or wasn't like, oh, I don't know if this is good. You're just, I mean, like you never know for sure, but it was like, okay, I got it. I know what I'm going to do. Or at least you had your strat. Wow. As I was reading it, I was like, okay, this scenario may come up. I'm ready for it. I can imagine myself here, like rolling through this scenario with this specific strategy. I was in that mindset at the time in my life. Now I'm in a totally different place. Once I had my baby, it's like everything shifted in many, many ways for me. So it, I don't know that I could go back into that headspace now, but at that point in time, I was young, I was dating. It felt familiar to me to play that game in my dating life, which yeah. is so sad. For no, all I mean, dated in the time. I get that makes sense. <laughs> I, I get that. <laughs> Did you have any reservation? Like, you know, when they called you from Micronesia like two years later, was it game on? Like, did you ever just were like, I don't want to go back? And you really went back to win. It wasn't like, oh, I want to have fun again. Like, why not? You were just like, I'm going back and I'm going to do this. Yeah. There was no reservation. I had a um, appointment with a psychic. My friend was like, hey, you want to go to the psychic? After I came back from season 13 and it hadn't aired yet, they hadn't announced the cast. And I was like, sure, I had just come back, maybe like four weeks prior. And I went with her and we shared a 30 minute session. Within that 15 minutes, the psychic told me that I had just come back from filming something on the beach with a lot of young people. There were like fires, it was a challenge, it was hard. And now I'm recovering from that. And she said, and you're going to go back and do it again. And you'll be victorious. And I was like, lady, you're crazy. I am never playing that game again. People don't do that. You only do it once and then you're done. And then you move on and you do something else with your life. Like, what are you talking about? So I thought she was a quack. And then a year later, when Lynn calls me, I was like, oh my God, the prophecy is coming true. So I said yes immediately, obviously. And I was like, this is destined and I'm going to win. And I had that conviction 
going back that I was going to win. And so I was like, whatever happens is going to be a roundy, twisty, turny way, but I am going to win in the end. Did you save the psychic's information? I did. And I went back and I saw her again. She was never so accurate. That's usually the case. Yeah. In, in my experience. <laughs> and you got hate when you came back from, because it was like a different time. Like we didn't have the Instagram the way we do now. Like you still got like what? Like you are giving women a bad name because you flirted and trying to use. Yes, that's what it was. Yeah. Twitter was a thing at that point. And I remember having a lot of blowback on Twitter. And I remember like bumping into people on the street and a woman came up to me at the ice cream shop in Santa Monica. And she was like, we love to hate you at my house. And I was like, Hmm. Okay. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And like, what would you like me to say to that when you're standing in front of me? I mean, there's a lot of things I could say. I don't really know what I'm supposed to say right now. Right. It was, it was a big eye opener for me. Because when I went and played, it was more about me having an adventure. I didn't think through, this is going to be on TV and everyone's going to have an opinion. People are going to love me or hate me. And that was it. Like, I was a really polar character. And everyone called me a character. And I was like, oh, your character is so bad. Or your character we love. And I'm like, but it's actually me. Right. You're like, this is a real reality show. Yeah. Where you're really like sleeping outside and all this other stuff. Right. Did you go down like the dark hole of like, you know, people go down that dark hole of like reading the comments and like, did you get depressed that time and go through all that psychological or no, you were pretty good about not having an identity crisis and listening to all these people at that point? I, at the time I was like 23 when I came back and Survivor was airing the first time. I remember it aired on my birthday. That was the premiere. I turned 23 or 24 that that year. And I was totally narcissistic. You know, like I wanted to know what people were thinking about me. I wanted to know what people said about me. I was fascinated to watch myself on TV. And then as I saw the comments, I was like, oh, I can't handle this. Like people really love me, but that didn't land. The ones that landed were the mean ones. Uh And I was like, oh, people are saying all these mean things about me. And like my, like, like really criticizing what I look like, what I sounded like, my actions, my behaviors, everything, all of my insecurities were like on the big screen being reflected back. And I was like, oh my God, everyone can see all of these things I've tried to hide, you know? Right. I had to stop reading the comments as a mode of self-preservation. And then, then the next time I played and it aired, I didn't even watch the show. And Heroes Villains, I fled the country to India so I wouldn't have to watch the show or see the comments that people were saying about me. Wow. Yeah. But when you played Micronesia and then you said that, well, playing that, I guess my first question, what, like, what was the biggest hurdle to get you to the end? Like, was there one, like, who was like, was there one person like looking back or it just you, and was this book and these, like this, preparation like was that always like in the back of your head or like the forefront of your mind really yeah and in Micronesia I was really lucky to connect with Amanda right away and Amanda and I had this incredible instant rapport where we could read each other's minds 
So I didn't even have to tell her what I was thinking sometimes, or she wouldn't have to tell me. We would immediately give each other a look and be like, okay, I got this, or you, you take this one. So we worked really, really well together. And then we pulled in Suri right away. And Suri was like the missing piece. She was that mama bear. People trusted her. They wanted her around, but she wasn't physically strong as a competitor. So we really looked out for each other and took care of each other. My biggest barrier was Ozzy. Like I mean, Ozzy was a friend of mine from Venice, you know, loosely. We weren't super tight, but he and Nate were roommates and Nate was my friend from Cook Islands. And so we, we were every, we're in the fold, right? And then I had to betray and blindside Ozzy and Amanda was upset about it. And I had to rebuild that rapport again. And Ozzy was pissed and he like tainted everyone in the jury and was so like tried to humiliate me at tribal council that was a pretty that was hard that was hard and i had to like lock up all of my emotions because i felt bad betraying him but i was like i gotta win and i gotta take out ozzy to win and now's the time yeah i mean that's what it takes i think to win it really yeah you have to be pretty ruthless you just have to like turn off your human side yeah, and that's the hard thing. Well, for me, because I'm pretty empathetic and I really love helping people to succeed. And Survivor is, you, it's a true competition where only one person can win. That's hard, you know, because you, you have to crush someone else's dreams in order for you to win. Yes. Well, the Black Widow Alliance where you, I mean, I'm, for me, the best moment in Survivor history is getting Eric to give that immunity necklace away. Like, were you like when that was ha- were you like did you think it was going to happen were you shocked was it like a delayed reaction like you get punched in the face and you feel it like an hour later like how did this go down Dalton Ross he is a reporter for Entertainment Weekly Oh I know who he is he says it's one of the greatest moments too Yeah and he did a full on history about it Oh so, really Yeah and he interviewed me Amanda Sari uh Eric everybody Natalie he got us all. So if you really want to deep dive into that uh, one moment in time, because it was, there was so much involved in that one moment going down. That is such a good um, place to go and read it. He has that whole article, but just for you and I in this moment, yes. I was totally shocked. I was shocked. I mean, I had 10% belief that Eric was going to give the necklace. It didn't really, it wasn't going to change my game either way. I thought it would be great if we could get him out now, but I knew still like, even if he didn't give up the necklace, it would be harder to get him out in chat because he's a good at challenges. But I thought that I could beat him in the end, no matter what. You did. But man, it was so awesome when he did. It was awesome. I like loved having a final four of all women. I was so excited about it. And that really does go down in like most people's like top, whether it's your favorite or not, like I would say top five moments of all time. And it was fun. Like we we had a lot of fun. The women in that season, we had a blast together. It was great. What about like when things are over, you know, like each season, like do producers like tell you like, holy shit, that was like, uh, you know, because I mean, I'm sure producers are, you know, they don't react. They're doing their job. And I'm sure they're there like, what? Like I'm sure Jeff is even like, is this really happening? Like for different moments throughout all the years, right? Yeah. And it's fun to get a little emotion out of some of the producers because they're like locked vaults, you know? They won't, just like, they won't even smile. They won't laugh. They're not going to give anything away. 
like at what point did you think you were going to win the game? Like when it was this final five and Eric did this, or was it like the final three or you just didn't, I mean, cause like you just alluded, like you knew you'd win over someone or did you really not think you were going to win at any point? I knew I was going to win. It was the like deep in my bones and knowing that I was going to win that game before I even. Really? Tried. Yeah. Well, maybe that's because of the psychic. I think it has a lot to do with the psychic. It really, that's why I shared that story with you because it really landed in me where I was like, okay, this is destined. It's divine destiny. Here I come. I'm going to win this game. No matter what it looks like on the outside, the steps that I'm taking are going to lead me to victory in the end. That was my mindset. Wow. And then, <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. I mean, and Jeff has even said you're one of his favorite players of all times. So then you win, like you said, and then what? Then when you came home, that's when you had, like, to your point, you had problems. You had an identity crisis and problems adjusting back into society. Yeah. My mind was so warped. I came back and I didn't know who to trust. I didn't trust myself. I was like, I think I'm a bad person. So I don't know if I can even trust my own intuition anymore. Like, why am I talking to this person? Why is this person talking to me? What do they want from me? Am I trying to get something from this person? Like, it was super gamey. Plus, I was in the entertainment industry when I came back. I was doing hosting gigs and auditioning and stuff, which is very gamey already. Yeah. Oh, yes. You don't have to tell me about all the games that go on in the entertainment industry. I could. Yeah. It's crazy. So, yeah, I mean, even reading that book, it's probably helpful for people in the entertainment industry to like give you some give you some power for yourself. But, yeah, I didn't have anything grounding me or connecting me to um, to reality or to the ability to separate and create a distinction between who I was in the game and who I really am. I went to therapy. I like, I like had a meltdown. I called the survivor doctor and I said, Hey, I need help. I am crying when I walk down the street. I like can't talk to my friends. I feel really like lost and confused and I don't know who I am. She was, she was like, okay, well let's get you some support. And they were really helpful. Is that how it is like afterwards? Like the doc, like there's a survivor doctor that's, still there forever like it's like a not forever but they will take care of you psychologically it's a tough game you know so if you come back and as a contestant you're having a hard time reintegrating back into your life especially if you have a family and work then they'll do what they can to support you they 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 care about people's mental health yeah <laughs> you're not like breaking down because <laughs> they want the franchise to keep going Yes. I mean, I, I like knew there were psychiatrists involved at, you know, I just didn't know that you could call someone afterwards. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know, like people, I did that because I was so, I didn't know what else to do. And I had never gone to therapy at that point in my life. I like, it just wasn't a thing for me. So when I called her, I told her what was happening with me. And she said, okay, here, here's your options. You can do this kind of therapy or you can do hypnotherapy. And I started doing hypnotherapy and it was so awesome. If anyone out there who's listening is having any kind of situations where you feel like stuck in those situations and you've tried a lot of different things to help you move through it, try hypnotherapy, but find a reputable person. There's lots of really incredible hypnotherapists and it was something that brought me back to myself. 
And what do you do? You just go in and say, okay, so this is something like I'm obsessing about, or this is a problem. And you get hypnotized and then you talk about. I I said, I need to recover my trust in myself. I need to be able to trust myself and that my choices are good. And I need to be able to trust other people. That was like my biggest thing. So I sat with this hypnotherapist who was also a medical doctor. He was amazing. And he would trance me and I would get super relaxed. It was like amazing. And I would just sit there and listen to him and he would tell me stuff and it would go in to my field and I would just in, I was in this altered state of consciousness. So he was reprogramming my subconscious and I didn't have to like be consciously aware of what was happening. And then when I was done with a session, I would feel like I just had a full body massage. I was so relaxed and I felt great and integrated. And now, you know, knowing more about healing and therapy and yoga and all of these different modalities, what he was doing was um, really integrating my nervous system, letting my rest and relax response come online so that my body could start to heal and recover. Because if you're in fight or flight or that high anxiety, high stress state, which yeah. is high cortisol survivor, like that's survivor. And that's probably a lot of people existing in this world right now, especially with COVID, probably have really um, overactive fight or flight stress responses going consistently. Your body can't recover if you're in that mode. So you think differently. You think your brain waves are more um, scattered. And you can't actually think in a really clear, coherent way if you're disintegrated in your nervous system. So you have to do yoga, you have to do meditation, you have to do acupuncture, therapy, or whatever it is to bring you into a more relaxed state in your body. And then from there, you can heal. And then just slow, like you're awake, you kind of feel it, but then just slowly living your life, you just, without thinking about it, because like it was now in your subconscious, like it just came into your life and you're like, I trust again. Well, what happened, I know I tested it out, right? I would go out to a birthday party and I would be watching myself. Like, can I have a conversation that's like normal, (laughs) you know? So it took me a while. It really did. And it took me a while, like putting myself out there. I would have anxiety going to a birthday party. Like that never Uh happened before Survivor. And then, you know, through this process of, uh, therapy, I was able to recover my, um, I don't know, ability to be calm and okay and normal and relaxed in social settings. Do you talk to like other, like knowing all these other people that played Survivor, like is that more common than you would think? I mean, like you got to the end, you were in it for a long time, or it just doesn't matter how long you're in it. You've seen this in other people too. I think it, the longer you're in it, the more it um, disorganizes your system. So like you never, like once you got over this, were you at least like, A, I won, I have bragging rights and B, you know, I got a million dollars. Like, like, I mean, hopefully you had a moment to celebrate. Yeah. Bask bask in the excitement of that. Yeah, it was rad. And at that point in my life, I had like 50 cents in my bank account. So I was pretty jazzed that I got a million dollar check and that I won. Honestly, the title was more exciting for me than anything. Because I was like, gosh, no one can ever take this away. Like money comes and goes, but this title is, that's going to stick. I feel like that's 
the case for a lot of people, right? That play. I mean, like you want the money, but right at the, no, should I not? I, uh, unless you're Sandra, Sandra always goes out for the money. And of course she's won twice. So that works out for her. She has won twice. So before you went back for the third time, where did you meet your husband? Was it at a surf? Cause he is a survivor too. Did he, was this like through the survivor network? Like there's a party and yeah. there he is. You got it. That's what I would think. Well, Ethan Zahn put together a charity soccer tournament and we were on the survivor team. And my husband is very good at, he's a very good soccer player. So I was like, oh, he's so handsome and he's really good at soccer. We should go on a date. And did you guys talk about survivor on your first date? Probably. We talked about a lot of stuff. Yeah. (laughs) We talked a lot. Did you, so like why, I mean, you already won, like, but you had no reservations of going back a third time. Like it was just like, okay, let's do this again. Um, I, yeah, at that point in my life, I hadn't landed on anything else. Like I didn't have a career at that point. I, I didn't know what I was doing with my life. And they called me again and I was like, well, I know I'm good at this and (laughs) everything else in my life is not working. So why don't I go back and play survivor again? And you know, do something that I know I'm good at and see how it goes. And you were supposed to, is this true? You were supposed to be on the Heroes Tribe and I, you got switched to the villains? Yeah, they switched us the night before. And I had a blue bikini. So they get they make you shop in your colors, sort of like a color scheme for your tribe. So I had this blue bikini but I that, that I was going to wear in the game. But I had a yellow bikini that I wore for press. So they were like, all right, you're wearing your yellow bikini. That's what they told me the morning of. And I was like, oh, something's up. And they switched me over. Did you care that you were on like the villains tribe or it was just more strategy? Like, I don't care. Like, call me whatever. Like, it just matters who I'm on the tribe with. And were you like, how am I Honestly, I I think it worked out better for me because what was going to happen was if I had been on the heroes tribe, James was on that tribe who I played with in Micronesia, Amanda and Sari. So there would have been four of us who had already played in one season together who were aligned you know together and like that just didn't seem very good for me and then when they switched me over it was kind of a big relief being on the, the villains tribe it just it's like the guardrails are off you can be naughty and bad and that's what's expected of you so for me that was great it was like oh I can do whatever I want I don't have to play a part was it so much harder? Because I mean, I think you even like talked about this on, like it must have been harder, like, you know, like having a husband, like it, your strategy was different-ish. Like, I didn't have a husband the third time I played. I was still- Oh, you didn't? It was the fourth time. Okay, but like you were dating, four. right? Or no? I know, I played so oh. many. No, me. you played four. Four times. Yeah. <laughs> the third time was Heroes Villain. So I was still single. I was still in that like zone in my life where it was flirty, manipulative, like play the were you shocked how far you got again? Or you kind of thought you would get really far again? Oh my God. By the skin of my teeth, did I get as far as I got in Heroes Villains? Like it was not, I was not like, oh, I'm running the show here. Never. In Micronesia, I felt that way. I felt really in control. Like the puzzle pieces were falling into place exactly as I had planned and expected. Heroes Villains, not. And Russell was instrumental for me in that game. Like he was willing to go out on a limb for me. And that's, that's really what got me to the place that I got in the game. Interesting. So like, as things went on, you were just like, okay, I survived another week. Like, you know, this will great. 
Like, yeah, I mean, in the beginning, it was really hard because everyone was targeting me. Yeah, and Russell was the only Russell and Danielle were the only piece, people that would work with me, and um, I really needed people who were hardcore, and Russell was hardcore. So he helped me a lot in the beginning, and then you know, towards the middle and towards the end, I didn't need him as much. At that point, I'd had a solid footing um, myself, but in the beginning, he's like really helped me make it through to the merch. When it got down to like you and Sandra, was it, did you, I mean, did you think you were going to win? No. I mean, it was three I, of you. I knew, you if, I knew if Sandra was in the final three, she would win. I am good at reading people. And when we would go to tribal council with Sandra and whoever else, and there would be the jury, anytime Sandra would say something, the jury would be laughing, smiling, elbowing each other. And I was like, they adore her. They love her. And when Russell would say something, they would roll their eyes and look at each other like, oh. And when I would say something, they would roll their eyes and look at each other. And I was like, oh, gosh. If Sandra's at the end, she wins. Hands down. I told Russell that. I tried to get him to vote her out. He wouldn't do it. He thought Sandra was kind of a hanger on her and no one would vote for her. And I was like, you're wrong. People are going to vote for her. And you were right. Yeah. And you are the second longest player ever, right? I think Boston Rob was number one and you're number two. Yeah. And on all the rankings, if you look at all these lists, like you're listed like on CBS, you're listed as number four, like on a lot of, you're, you're in the top five. I'm like, so how does that feel to be like consistently? Number four. I, I didn't say it. Well, here's the thing. The list makes no sense to me. Like on CBS.com, you're number four, number three. So I like, okay, if I were going to start there, then I have my own ideas of who should be the top three. Three is Rob Sestorino. Okay. Right. See, this is, I mean, this is number two is Russell. And then number one is Boston Rob. Weird list. I kind of think so. I don't know where, because I don't, I just started from you to go higher. I don't know, but I think Sandra's on it. And then, like, I found something else where you're number four and, on Screen Rant, and Sandra's three, but then Sarah's number two and Tony's number one. So it's like, where's Boston Rob? Yeah, these some of these lists are suspect. But you're, you know, at least, like, how does it feel to have, like, this, you know, you, listen, I think you could pull a million publications. You would 100% be in the top 10 and probably five of every single person's list. Like that's gotta be, like, did you ever, I mean, you kind of alluded to this, like, can you believe like, this is your, just you're good at this game. You don't just get to sixth place by not knowing what you're doing. And then the next time by the skin of your teeth, you're in the final three, like, even when you don't win, you do well. Yeah, I, um, gosh, uh, how do I even answer this question? I didn't set out to be a famous, like historical survivor figure. <laughs> right. Never did I think that, that that would be part of my life. But it's funny because over time, that's what's happened through like um, through the span of gameplay that's been played. But I played in like a few back, it was like, boom, one year and then another year I played and then another year I played. So it was in a short time frame, super compressed. And then like there were certain people that were just, like, I guess just stood out in those moments. And if you played before season 20, there's like this legendary sort of historical status because that that's like the, the beginning of Survivor. That's old school. And yeah. then it evolved into this much more um, 
I don't know, like, uh, like they're dropping idols here and like, there's more like gimmicky stuff that they're doing now. So it's different. There's a different strategy required. There was more, it was more personality based, I think until 20. And that's when I got in. So I think there's a lot of timing that was involved in it. I think I was in the right place at the right time in my life to really succeed at this game with the skills that I had developed over the course of my life till that point. And, um, it came, it just came to me at that, at that time. I mean, I couldn't, there's no way I could have planned it. No way. Other than you, who do you, who was, who do you think's the best player ever? Rob, obviously. Rob's an incredible player. Tyson is awesome. He's so, so devious and diabolical but also lovable sandra is amazing i mean she's won twice she's obviously very good and she like works it like she'll work the pre-game she'll she'll be calling everyone before the game starts and like she's working so those that would be my top those are good choices i mean is that really how it is now that you all know each other and like when you go back like it's there's there's pre-game of like oh my gosh I never did that. So like my previous seasons, Micronesia and Heroes Villains, I didn't do pregame stuff. I would just be like, oh, when we get there, we'll see who's on the tribes and then I'll develop relationships from there. Now, when I came back for 40, I was one of the only people who didn't pregame. I didn't have time. I had a 10 month old and was working and I was like trying to stop breastfeeding and work out for the first time in two years. You're like, I'm just going to figure it out when I get there. You're not going to be calling people. What about like Rob and Amber? Like, what if you went back again and your husband was there? Would that help you think your game or you think it would hinder it? I don't know. He has always wanted to play Survivor. So, like, I would encourage him to go play. And I would be like, oh, let me just sit this one out, babe. <laughs> like, you can have this one. I don't really know. Would you ever go back? The only way that I would go back is if it was like a mentor season where. Like how Rob and Sandra did that mentor island. If I could do that with Tyson or Ethan or so, Natalie or something and mentor people, I would do that. But I don't want to compete anymore. You don't. Mm-mm. What about like, you know, we've seen, like we talked about like dividing tribes by race. You know, we've tried like old and young. Like what was that? Gen X, Gen Z, men and women. Like are there any ways to divide the tribes that you think or like that they haven't done that you would be like, this would be such a great social experiment? And then we could wrap up in like a minute. Because I want to talk about your, I want to talk about what you do in the world in a minute. Yeah. Um, Dalton, again, Dalton Ross has asked this question. And I came up with something like Rap Battle Island where everyone had to like make up raps. (laughs) I think that would be kind of fun. But I don't know. I'm not like a theme maker. Tyson's better at that than me. What about, so just talk to me about what you do now. And my big question is like, you know, cause we were talking like the survivor really helped you now be a life coach. Cause I would think it would. It did because of my experience going out there and competing in such a high stress, high pressure environment and having to adapt and be flexible and work with lots of different personalities and strategies and like different places of depletion inside myself. To be able to win through that experience and to get through the end, get to the end in that kind of a pressure cooker environment gave me a certain set of skills to help people in the business world and in high pressure situations like show business and speaking and corporate corporate America. But on the other side of that is 
Like you don't want to be pushing yourself all the time. You don't want to be operating in this high adrenaline fight or flight um, nervous system. You're going to crash and burn if you do that. So I've also had to develop the skills to start to relax myself, even in the midst of high pressure, start to understand how to give myself certain moments of rest and recovery so that I could have the space mentally to strategize farther down the road, to envision what I want for my life, create a dream and a vision, and then take steps to move towards that and overcome the limiting beliefs and barriers that I have that prevent me from having what I want in my life. So that's what I do now. I incorporate my survivor experience, my recovery from survivor. That's a big one because I have used so many different modalities, especially yoga and meditation and breath work. And I put all of that together in these transformational programs that I'm leading online for people now. So for the past two years, especially since COVID started, I really ramped this up and I put together these groups of people and we'll go through six weeks, seven weeks, sometimes three months. It's a small group that's three months. I'm leading people through a nine month program. But what I want to offer for your listeners, I want to do something special for you guys. Last year when Survivor, uh, the Survivor finale of season 40 aired, I made a gift for the fans of the show to give back and to thank the fans for being along this ride with me because that was really my swan song, like I'm done competing. So I put together this program called Hero's Journey. So if you go to parvityshallow.com slash hero, you can do the program and it has, it's um, yoga, it's meditation, it's life coaching, it's practical strategies to help you through your life. Um, on your own hero's journey, sort of like what Survivor is. And I interviewed, so Tyson comes on and he's a guest um, for the program. Boston Rob's a guest for the program. Kim Kim Spradlin, Ethan's on. So it's a pretty fun group of people. And it's really, truly transformed people's lives going through that program. So I want to offer that to your viewers and give them a discount code. Can I do that? Yeah, you can do that. Okay, so we'll use the code VELVET. And people can get 20% off. For I love it. Velvet. I'll activate it now. Oh, okay. So that you're whoever's listening at whatever time. And it'll just be in perpetuity. People can okay. that, that code can be yours. Really? Code. Okay, good. Yeah, I'll just leave it up. Leave it live. Vel- so code velvet. And what was the website again? Just so everyone could hear it. Parvityshallow.com slash hero. I'm going to go check it out. I mean, I... I I really, truly believe, like, you know, even when we started talking, like, all of this experience, it has to help because, like, the psychological, you go through these things, you have to get back in touch with yourself afterwards. Final question, then I'll let you go. When people just are looking for a life coach and there you are, is it ever someone that just is like, oh, my God, this is her, it's her, it's her from Survivor, or does that... Yeah, that happens sometimes, but I have a pretty good filter. So if people are Survivor fans, then they can get a cameo. There's plenty of ways to interact with me as a fan. Yeah. If you're really looking to change your life and you want support with something that's been really causing you pain and suffering, you're feeling stuck, then you can um, reach out to me for coaching support or go through one of my programs. That's really the group programs are the best way to have an experience. And I would... And I would imagine with COVID, your business is certainly not down. No, people are struggling right now. You know, it's it's a hard time for everyone. People are losing a lot. I mean, in, including me. Like, 
I've had significant loss in the past year. So we need each other and we need support and resources more than ever. We do. Everyone needs to check that out. Where can people follow you on Instagram? P Shallow. Come be my friend on Instagram. Easy. I really appreciate this. I appreciate your time. Thank you for entertaining all my questions. Everyone is going to love this when it comes out. Have a great day and keep in touch. Okay. Nice to see you. I know. This was really fun. And I'm going to work on the Queer Eye Guys for you. Oh my God, please. I would be so grateful. Listen, I'll do that for you. You just put in a good word, big brother, survivor. I'm ready. I'm ready. Especially big brother. All right. Keep in touch. Bye, David. Bye. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Behind the Velvet Rope. Because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on Apple Podcasts under Behind the Velvet Rope. And when you're done subscribing, feel free to leave a five-star write-up review because the write-up reviews actually count. We read each and every one of them. We post the best ones and the reviews really help our shows keep going. And we really appreciate everything you guys say, especially the positive ones. And if you want to find us online, we're at Behind Velvet Rope on Instagram. We are at David Yontef on Instagram. We're Behind The Velvet Rope on Apple Podcasts. Or head on over to Patreon, because you know what? There are just some things we can't talk about here. So for our bonus episodes, go to Patreon and type in Behind The Velvet Rope. And if you still aren't sick of me, and you want more David, go to Cameo and book me on Cameo. And you can ask me anything there. I'll answer whatever you want. And I have a bargain basement price of $10. Thank you guys. See you soon.